Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And today we'll be looking back at the Ravens 41 to 21 loss to Cincinnati and really take a look at what the playoff path looks like for this Ravens team now. And quite frankly, it won't be easy, but you have to give them a lot of credit for even having a chance, given everything that's happened this season, that they're still talking playoffs with two games to play in what has been just a totally tumultuous season. Let's first look at this Cincinnati game. And I mean, the day before the game, everything else that's happened to this team and the day before the game, Tyler Huntley tests positive for the coronavirus. So he is placed on the COVID-19 list. And that leaves Josh Johnson as the Ravens starting quarterback. Lamar Jackson, the ankle injury did not heal well enough. He didn't even travel to Cincinnati. So Josh Johnson is in as the starting quarterback. Daniel, when you heard that uh, Huntley was no longer an option, what was your first thought? Game is over. Uh, I, I knew instantly, Bo, that there's no way they was going to be able to pull this thing off. And um, and, it, and it gave it gave the Bengals an instant probably boost of energy, you know, knowing they was going into this game with all the players that the Ravens had down. And then you lose your starting quarterback, which is your, really your second screen quarterback, but he's, he's still just as magical as, as number one. So, I mean, to, to to go into this game knowing that they're down their leader, you know, it, it just it makes it that much easier for you. And and let's face it. I mean, Josh Johnson, he, he signed off the Jets practice squad 10 days earlier. I mean, he's been in the building for 10 days now. He was here in training camp like five years ago, but 35 year old veteran. And quite frankly, he, he looked, I think, as good as you could possibly expect the guy to look. In fact, that game opened. He, he's no up-tempo, no huddle, quick plays. The Bengals looked a little bit caught off guard by it, and he marched them right down the field for a score. Josh uh, Johnson finished 28 for 40 for 304 yards. And as I said, I mean, I don't know that you can have asked for any more than that. The problem was, given the Ravens' issues on defense, the Ravens were pretty much in a position where they were going to have to score almost every time they had the ball because the Bengals frankly did the Bengals scored the first seven times they had the ball, either field goals or more often touchdowns. And then they finally missed a field goal was the only way they were held from scoring until they took a knee at the end of the game. They never punted, but this Ravens defense was down Calais Campbell. There were two outside linebackers on the COVID list. There were two cornerbacks on the COVID list on top of Humphrey and Peters being hurt for the season. And then Anthony Averett got hurt during the game. So by the middle of that game, the Ravens cornerback group included Kevon Seymour and Robert Jackson and Daryl Worley, three guys off the practice squad, or literally Worley had been signed off the street three days earlier. It just wasn't really a fair fight for it with the talent that the, that the Bengals have and, and, the Bengals took full advantage of it. Daniel Woodcox, let me ask you, and you have a game like that and you lose by 20, Burrow threw for 500 some yards. Uh, it was a 525 was the most ever thrown against the Ravens. Players will talk all the time about a 24 hour rule, whether you win or whether you lose, you got to forget that game and move on. How easy is that to do when you've just gotten throttled like that? Um, it's pretty easy to forget the ones you get your, you get blown out. You don't, you're not trying to remember those very long at all. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you have to forget it you have to kind of semi-forget it to kind of move on, right? You don't need to linger around. You don't need to plan in the back of your mind while you're trying to prepare for the next game. 
you have to forget about that game so you can focus on the next. And it pretty much goes as far as that, you know, like from that point on, you're focusing on the next game, but you never really truly honestly forget that game. When they play the Bengals next year, they're going to remember that. If they make it to the playoffs and play the Bengals in the playoffs, they're going to remember that. You know, they're never going to forget this. You know, and you beat us, you beat us and you put, you press the gas when we was at our worst. It's like, you didn't do it against our best guys. Like you taking advantage of us when we at our lowest. But I mean, you, you, you go back to it. I mean, this, you know, COVID is a whole nother animal, all of us, all of its own, you know, I mean, in spite of all the injuries that the Ravens had, I mean, when Ravens was full tilt, they was as good as any team out there. And everybody thought we was winning the Super Bowl, you know, when it was full tilt and healthy. You know, Cincinnati is healthy right now. They're full tilt and they're healthy. They got all their guns. They're not missing anything. The Ravens is missing almost every key component of their offense and their defense that they had. And um, it's it's kind of hard, man, when you when you're in that situation. You know, the Ravens are at everybody's beck and call right now. You know, if you're gonna take advantage of the Ravens, now is the time to do it. And they took full advantage of it. You know, hell, Joe Burrow is up there ranked with you know with Warren Moon. I mean, you don't get to see Warren Moon they come across the screen very often. But you know, when you start seeing you put somebody in the category up there at Warren Moon. In this second season, you're able to take advantage of a team like the Baltimore Ravens. Nobody will never go back in history and say, oh, that was the game that was the COVID game and the, the game that everybody, the Ravens had 42 guys on the IR. You know, they they was playing with the, the backups, backups, and the backup backups. You know, you know, nobody knows that. They just know that the, the, the Bengals beat the Ravens 41-21 and um, Joe Burrow threw 525 yards on them. You know, so that's all people will see in the history books. They, they He did it against one of the most depleted teams in the NFL. And it was still, I can't, you can't take anything away from Joe Barrow. I mean, he has three or three, maybe of the top receivers in the NFL. I mean, that kid Higgins, I mean, he's such a long, long rangy body. You know, he's just like, he got a seven foot wingspan, man. Some of the catches that he made. And then Jamar Chase is one of the most elite athletes. I think I've seen play this game in a long, long, long time. You get one Jamar Chase every 10 years. You know, and um, it's, it's it's really spectacular to kind of watch the things that went on. I mean, we've had blown, blown coverages and busted coverages all year long, and it hasn't been anything, you know, so this game wasn't anything different from what we've already previously seen. You know, you still seen a, a guy running wide open, butt naked down the middle of the field, and you're like, where's the safeties or whatever. But it was a um, it was a three-by-two alignment, the, the, the ball that Boyd caught, and I think ran like 50-some yards for a touchdown. Um, it was a three by two alignment. It was an empty backfield on Cincy's part. Anytime you go three by two, you know, you got to come out of your cover two, your cover four defense, and you got to rotate down to a cover three so you can be able to cover the three receiver side. When you go down to a cover three defense, you bring one of your safeties down to the three receiver side. He, he normally guards that inside receiver or the middle slot receiver. And then the other safety has to come up to take the middle of the field read. Well, Joe Burrow looked backside and he, he looked to the two receiver side backside and gave the two-receiver side his eyes the entire snap of the ball. And then he pulled that safety over to the two-receiver side, which he has deep middle. So he has to play the middle of the field. He just played it so aggressively that he gave the out-and-up move to Boyd, and he was wide open. You know, the linebacker got hook curled. The other safety has the flats. You know, so what, nobody else is in that scene or that middle of the field but the middle field safety that was now on the other side of the field. So when you see stuff like that, you know, that's what game plans are for. You know, like the Ravens defense has the game plan. And just like the Cincinnati Bengals offense had the game plan. So when you're game planning the Ravens and you know they're going to roll down to this cover three, they're not playing three cover three man. They're playing, you know, cover three zone all the way. And they do it every single time. And then when you got guys in there that are so fresh and so new, you can't put in the three clouds and the three you know, all the all the fire zone stuff that you can run off three, you can't do that. You know, so Joe Burrow just had all day to just kind of sit back there and do his things. I mean, sometimes the Ravens was rushing three. 
that's how worried they were trying to contain the score. If the Ravens didn't do what they did, it would have, it could have easily been 60 some to 21. It's a good point about Burrow because as you mentioned, I mean, for one, you've got, you know, Tony Jefferson was playing safety at times in that game. Anthony Levine was on the field a lot again. And these are guys that have not played much at all for the Ravens. But to your point about Burrow, I mean, a good quarterback is going, coaches will say it all the time. A good quarterback is going to get defenders moving with their eyes. Right. And so when Burrow can do that to the safety and open up that half of the field. And then I think it was queen that get bit on the double move, but he's just playing aggressively. He's not going to cover boy down the field. It's impossible to ask queen to cover boy down the field, but Burrow did a great job moving the safety with his eyes. And then the field is all open for him. Uh, and the Ravens just couldn't get a pass rush with the players they had. And they only had three outside linebackers even available for the game. And it looked like Oway was wearing down as the game went on and Bowser. And I mean, there's just, there's just so much they could have done. And, like you said, that Bengals team, I mean, I know people expected the Bengals were going to be a rising organization over the next few years when Burrow got healthy again after tearing his knee last year and with Chase and with Boyd and with uh, Higgins. And they've obviously arrived earlier than people thought, and they're going to be good for a while. Um, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon, and the Ravens are going to have to deal with them for the next few years, and their defense is going to have to know that this is the group they're going to have to deal with every single time they play them. Let's talk about a couple of bright spots for this Ravens team, and one of them was James Prochet. Hasn't had a whole lot of chance to play on offense this year and actually got the first kick return chance and bobbled it a little bit and then was taken off the kick return team for Tylen Wallace, but James Prochet finished with seven catches for 76 yards, his best game as a receiver. All we saw all summer from James Prochet on the training camp fields was sure hands, and he just attacks the ball and catches everything. So a lot of people have been saying, where is Prochet? Why is he not factoring in this offense at all? And I know you had Bateman coming back. You had Marquise Brown. You have Mark Andrews tearing things up. But James Prochet is a guy that did in this game exactly what we saw all summer. He catches everything you throw at him. He's not going to burn you down the field, but he's going to catch contested catches, 8, 10, 12 yards, and he can be a valuable part of this offense. Daniel Wilcox, I know you have some history with Prochet. What, wh where do you go with Prochet, or how far back do you go with James Prochet? Well, me and Prochet first met at the Reese's Senior Bowl. You know, I got a chance to do the Reese's Senior Bowl when he was coming out as a senior. He was one of my, um, he was one of the guys I had to, I was his player host for the whole week. So I got a chance to get to know him personally. Um, got a chance also to evaluate him every single day at practice. You know, I had to watch him on the field, off the field, sit down at the table and talk to him at dinner time and breakfast in the morning. And, you know, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. I knew he was going to be a great pro. I remember talking to the Ravens about him and they asked me, do I think he's a Raven? I was like, yeah, heck yeah, he's a Raven, you know? Um, and I just, his, his hands were just so phenomenal. I, I thought Chase Claypool was the, the steal out of that bunch. Right. I thought he was going to be the big time player that he is right now. You know, but um, Prochet, what I noticed about him more than anything, he, ha he had some of the most natural hands I think I had seen in a while. Right. And, you know, you go through all those guys. There were so many guys that were so talented in the senior bowl. I, I think every player that I had that came out of there has done well already in the NFL. Or if they're not, they're on their way. You know, so like Prochet to me is still on his way you know, of doing really, really great. And I think he has so much, he has so much upside, you know, he's young, um, he's vibrant. He's a kind of sneaky type player where he's just kind of slippery and he kind of, he, he finds a way to kind of create separation and it's, and it's just a natural separation. It's not even like he's trying hard to do it. He just, he just feels things extremely well. And he was already, he already felt like an NFL player to me. You know, he, of course he was on the smaller side, you know, but he felt like an NFL player, like a Wes Welker type. And um, I felt like he was going to be a quiet guy. He wasn't going to have a whole lot to say, which I think is very important in this league, not to come in and be so loud and boisterous off rip, you know, to come in and just kind of 
You know, he's a feel your way type guy. And, you know, as his confidence starts to build, like you're going to see some really, really phenomenal things from this kid. And I mean, you saw how he performed in the game. I, I watched him at practice in the recent senior bowl weekend and I mean, day in and day out, you know, get a little bit more, a little bit more confidence. He had been in, I don't think he had been in that situation before where he was around a bunch of elite receivers, just like him. He was always the man everywhere he'd been. When he got to the senior bowl, he had, it was kind of like a reality check type thing. Right. You know, so I think it was a little bit uncomfortability like the first couple of days, but after day three, day four, he settled down a little bit. And then you started to see who he really was and he got better and better and better as that week went on, I thought he was a no-brainer to, to get drafted. Um, I thought he was a no-brainer to, to, to bring in. I, I think he can be a big-time elite receiver in this league. You know, it's, he's, he's going to need to be in a situation where, where he could be that slot receiver that, that runs those crossing routes and shallow crosses and, and double-move routes, the jerk routes and stuff like that, and, and, and get the ball to him quick, and he'll make some guys miss. But he's – his hands are so freaking phenomenal. Like he'll make the one-handed grabs, the behind the back grabs, the over the head, the over the shoulder grabs, the 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 four or five hands waving in front of the ball grabs. He'll catch them all. I think he's going to make some great plays for the Ravens. I saw he had seven catches for 76 yards this game with a 10.9 average. You could win with that week in and week out. You know, that's a first down every catch. That's seven first downs that he gave you by himself. And um, to me, that's what you want. That's what you want from your receivers. Get the ball into their hands and let them go be great. The problem that the Ravens is going to have to deal with is they're going to have to figure out how to balance. You know, you got a Mark Andrews, you got a Marquise Brown, you got a Rashad Bateman, you know, then you got, it don't even, it don't stop. Like it, you got guys that didn't even play this game that are premier, you know, your Duvernays, you know, um, Sammy Watkins, you know, you got guys that didn't even play that are premier receivers in this league that, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to get the ball to all these guys and keep everybody happy. You know, since Prochet is one of those younger guys, you know, you can kind of feed him three, four catches a game right now and then just kind of push the ball to everyone else to try to, you know, keep them happy. If you don't keep these guys happy, they're going to be trying to find a way out of Baltimore as soon as possible. So you got to try to figure out a way to feed everybody and keep everybody happy. And you got to, you're going to have to throw the ball 50 times a game. <laughs> Well, it is tricky. We're trying to keep all these guys happy and you have enough. It, it's nice to have options because they haven't always had options. I will say, you know, Prochet is exactly as you said, we saw him all summer. He catch balls one handed off the sideline He catch balls that were low or behind him. He scoops them off, the, you know, just off his shoe tops. I can hardly remember seeing him with a drop. And I will say when they first drafted him, the one thing I remember Eric DaCosta talking about specifically was they thought he was a great punt returner. They thought he had great hands for returning punts. And then he ultimately lost the punt return job to Duvernay, who made the Pro Bowl this year. And then this week, Duvernay was hurt. I, I thought we would see Prochet as a punt returner. And then the Bengals never even punted. There was that kind of game. But that game showed kind of what he is and what he's capable of. And I think he can be a key part of this offense. Let's talk very briefly about Mark Andrews. I don't know what more you can say about the guy, but I don't know where this offense is without him. But what we're watching with Mark Andrews is something that, quite frankly, has never been seen in this organization before. He is about, he's now just 14 yards away from Michael Jackson's all-time record for a Ravens pass catcher with 1,201 receiving yards. Andrews goes into this week at 1,187. He has 93 catches. It's 10 short of Derek Mason's franchise record. And again, this is a tight end who in the last three weeks has had three different quarterbacks and has caught 100 yards or more from all three of them. At this point, 
Daniel, he's as unstoppable, I think, as any tight end in the league. Would you agree? Absolutely, man. Mark Andrews is he's phenomenal, man. I mean, I'm I'm watching him and I mean he's he's in his Jordan mode right now. You know, he's kind of like that, you know, I'm ready to take over the game if I have to. And you could see it on the first catch of the game all the way to the last catch of the game. He's doing he's trying to do whatever it takes, like every inch counts, every yard matters. He's playing with a level of, of 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 velocity and a level of ferociousness that makes you be like, man, this dude is for real. Like he he's for real, for real, you know. And I, I feel like I never got that comfortable, you know, like he's to a point where he's comfortable where now it's like a man amongst boys, you know? And I felt, I always felt like I was a, you know, I was in the middle of that, that, that range. I never got a chance. I had a couple of games where I had like eight catches, 10 catches, you know, but it was never consistent with the Ravens was like, all right, we're going to push Wilcox the ball, push him the ball. And they're pushing Mark Andrews the ball, you know? And that only happens. And, you know, when, when, when you get that official, official, official green light, I feel like I never got over that hump. You know, when you look at Mark Andrews, he knows he's going to get the ball. And he's in that point right now where he's trying to take over the freaking game with every touch he has. He's Steph Curry, you know, shooting threes right now. I can't say enough about how fun it is, you know, to watch a Raven tight end, you know, go and do the things that he's doing right now. And um, I, I know Todd Heap, if man, man, he could sit down and talk about this guy all day. I mean, he's phenomenal. I mean, you could dissect each one of our moves. Like you, I could dissect Heap's favorite move and he's going to get you. 100 percent of the time on that same move right and then you could dissect my move and you could probably say i'm gonna get you 100 percent of the times on that one move i got a double move at the top of the route that that had a little wiggle in it that you couldn't stop and he had a head fake and a sidestep at the top of his route that you could never stop he got him in the pro bowl years after year after year after year and you look at mark andrews hit i mean his bag of tricks man is endless he's phenomenal. And then when he gets the ball in his hands, he don't care who you are. He's still farming you. He's jumping over guys. He's running guys over. He's making guys miss. I mean, it's fun. It's really, it's really, really, really fun to watch. Yeah. He's been amazing. And, and the, like you said, the yardage after the catch is one thing that one game at Cleveland, he dragged those four guys about 15 yards down the field. He's been just, just remarkable. And like I said, I think we're seeing a season from him that the Ravens have never seen before. One other player I want to talk about, because we talked about Josh Johnson, 35-year-old guy, kind of resurrects his career with a start at age 35 with the Ravens, his first start in three years, is Tony Jefferson. Tony Jefferson left Baltimore a few years ago. He hurt his knee, had a knee surgery, missed the rest of the season. In fact, that's when Chuck Clark kind of emerged as a starter in this team. And then Jefferson gets hurt. He's released. He bounces around. He goes to a couple teams. He's with the 49ers a couple games this year. Doesn't work out. And then here the Ravens come calling and he's back. And he was he played inspired in that game on Sunday. And I know the Bengal, the Ravens were shorthanded and they had to ask a lot of him, much more than frankly they would have wanted to. But Jefferson finished with nine tackles, I believe it was. And the energy that he he just looked to be having fun again. And it was really good to see. How, how much more do you think Tony Jefferson has in the tank? Um, it, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. You know, everybody's body's different. You know, after you have these surgeries, sometimes, you know, your body counteracts with it and and um, and everything else starts to fall apart. The blessing I think he got is that he was released and really, really wasn't picked up by anybody. You know, he was at home just resting up, getting better, healing up, you know, the whole nine yards. And what happens with most of our injuries is that is that we're rushed back on the field too soon, you know, and then we're now something else is overcompensating for this. If he's truly 100 percent healthy, I mean, TJ may have he may have some more some some more games in his bucket, like serious games. And it's easy to be inspired, man. When you was at home on the couch watching everybody else play. I've been there. You know, I was released by Temple, I think my second or third year in the league. And I had to sit at home for 10 weeks, you know, watching everybody else play. 
And it's something that goes through you that transform you in your mind, your mental, your mind state that makes you feel like, all right, why am I at home? I should be playing right now. I'm better than this guy. I'm better than that guy. And I'm better than this guy. I should be out there right now. You know, and then when you get that phone call, it's like God telling you, son, I'm gonna give you a second chance. And then when you get that second chance, you come back with a mindset. The mindset is so different, you know, because there's moments in your career where you feel like, all right, it's the coach's fault. Like they didn't believe in me. They didn't do this or whatever. And then when you get cut and you sit at home and then you, you start pointing the finger at you and you be like, you know what? It's my fault. They didn't believe in me. I got to make them believe. I got to make them a believer. And then you come back with this relentless mindset. Anything that I left, like off the field, my first time around, the second time around, I'm not going to leave anything to chance. I'm going to give it my all. I'm to my, I don't care if I hurt a shoulder, if I hurt a wrist, if I hurt a finger, if I break a nail, if I break a, t I don't care what it is. I'm going to throw my body in there. I'm going to be reckless. I'm going to enjoy this sport to the point that if I'm out of this sport again, I know I gave it my all. And you hear Ray Lewis talk about it when he retired. You know, you hear Dion talk about it when they retire. It's like, I don't, I don't miss the game. You know, <laughs> I gave it every single thing I had when I was there. You know, it's the ones like myself, you retire and then you're like, man, I miss it. I miss it all the time. And you realize you miss it because there was, it was something that you, you, you didn't get a chance to show the world. You know, there was something that you know that you didn't get a chance to show the world. And now you got to, he has an opportunity to show people that Tony Jefferson is even better than they already thought he was, you know? And I, I love that, man. I love the fact that he's getting a second chance right now. And I love the fact that he's getting a chance in Baltimore. Yeah. I, I, you know, he was always, always a popular player in that locker room. Uh, he always loved this organization. I think he's genuinely excited to be back here with this specific team. And, and like you said, I'm sure there's something to the idea that, you know, you appreciate another chance. Frankly, Devonta Freeman was that way too. When he came back to this team, I mean, he's sitting there on the couch saying, why, why isn't anyone picking me up? Why well, I, I know I can still play in this league. And Jefferson's probably saying that too, trying to hope, you know, prove that his body can hold up. It's great to see him again, because like I said, he's been well, well regarded, well respected in that locker room from his time he was here. And he, he just looked, he just looked genuinely excited to be back out there playing for the Ravens again. Let me ask you, uh, Daniel Wilcox, the play that a lot of people are talking about here in Baltimore is the Bengals. Joe Burrow drops a 52 yard pass to Joe Mixon with two minutes left and they're winning by 20 already. It would have been easy for the Bengals to just kind of run the clock down that last couple drives in the game. They've obviously got the game in command. Burrow was passing all over the field. And then he throws a 52 yarder uh, with two minutes left. Is that rubbing the Ravens noses in it? Will players and coaches remember that? Or do you just move on and say that's that that's done? I, mean, I, I think this is uh, emotional league. I, I really do. I mean, it's just like everything else in life. You know, emotions get flaring and guys get to fight and helmets go flying. I mean, this is an emotional sport. So, yeah, you're going to feel some kind of way if you're the Baltimore Ravens. But at the end of the day, I've always told myself if I had a chance, I remember playing football in high school. And I don't know why I'm going back to my high school years, but I remember being in situations where we were so much better than everybody else. And we had a chance to run the score up. And my coach was always humble, you know, and he would never allow us to run the score up. I would catch two passes in the first half, and then I would get two touchdowns in the first half, two catches, two touchdowns. And I have a hundred yards and then I literally wouldn't catch another ball the rest of the game. So I had opportunities in high school where I could have had probably 10 catches for a thousand yards in one game. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, it was, it was crazy. 
but I never got that opportunity. And then when you see these guys that go to like the Michigans and to go to all these bigger schools, it's the guys that got the astronomical numbers, numbers, you know? So you got a chance to give your quarterback an opportunity to break a record, right? And you see that you got an opportunity to do that. So am I going to be sensitive to the Ravens or am I going to be sensitive to my own players as a coach? So I think mentally you have to battle with that. I got a chance to give this guy an ch- opportunity to be one of the best in the world in this one particular game. Am I going to feel sorry for the Baltimore Ravens that they're going through everything that they're going through? Hell no. They don't feel sorry for us when we go through what we go through. We've been to Cincinnati Bengals been kicking our ass for years. So why should I feel sorry for them? And, you know, and if they feel sensitive about it, who cares? I, I don't, I'm not mad at it, man. I'm not, I'm not mad at it at all. I think if I'm a head coach of a, a high school, college, or a pro team, <clears throat> if I get a chance to put my guys in positions to be great, I'm going to do everything I can to put my guys in positions to be great. And I know if I'm a, if I'm a high end quality player and I want to go be great and I want to break records, then that's the team I'm going to the team that got that coach. They're going to allow me to be the best version of myself I can possibly be. And that's all you really asking for your players to do is be the best version of themselves that you could possibly be. Now, is it dangerous doing it? Heck yeah. You're talking about the Baltimore Ravens at any given moment. One of those guys come off the edge and knock fire out of your quarterback and he might be done the rest of the year for you. So it's a dangerous move. You know, but it's a it's a double edged sword, right? No, that there was there was concern because Burrow's in, in that fourth quarter. Burrow took a few hits, and, and they're still throwing the ball up by twenty, and with the game in hand, and he he definitely took some hits. A lot of people have said, look, Harbaugh, instead of taking a knee at Denver, he let Jackson run around the corner so they could that one hundred yard r- yard record, and then Harbaugh downplayed the idea that he had any issue with it. The Bengals players basically said the same thing you just said. They said, no one felt sorry for us when we were getting clobbered. Um, and when we were down our players and when the Ravens beat us 65 to six in the two games last year, no one was feeling sorry for us. We are not feeling sorry, stepping on their throat at this point in the game. And like you said, it's an emotional league and they're not going to have an apology. I will say, I fully expect the players and coaches from the Ravens will remember it. Whether they can do anything about it is another issue because they're in the future. They're still going to have to deal with Burrow and Higgins and Chase and all these other guys and figure out a way to get ahead of them for frankly, before they worry about whether they can do anything of running up the score. Um, this Bengals team is going to be a handful for the foreseeable future. I think. All right. Looking ahead to this week, the Ravens, just two games left at the moment. They're on the outside looking in for the playoff. There's four teams that are eight and seven Miami, the chargers, the Raiders, and the Ravens. They're all eight and seven because of all the different tiebreaker scenarios. Miami is currently the one that sits in that final playoff spot. Now the dolphins we're two and seven when when uh, Baltimore went down to Miami on a Thursday night and the Dolphins inundated them with that blitz and the Ravens, quite frankly, have never really been right ever since. But to the Dolphins, now the Dolphins have had to, they've had the benefit of playing the Jets twice, the Giants and a New Orleans Saints team last night that was uh, decimated by COVID and was down to Ian Book as the starting quarterback. But they are now in the seventh playoff spot. They still have to play Tennessee and New England. No, no gimmies there. The Ravens have to play the Rams this week. And then the Steelers, the Chargers play the Raiders. There's going to be a lot of movement in the last two weeks. The Ravens know that they're pretty much in must win mode. Now Um, the division title is going to be very tough to get not out of the question though. The Bengals have to play the chiefs and the Browns. The Ravens could still win both their last games. The Bengals could lose both their last games. Not likely. But the Ravens now are in essentially must-win mode. Cooper Cup comes to town with over 1,700 receiving yards. We saw what the Bengals were able to do. 
The Ravens did get Jimmy Smith back from the COVID list, but we don't know if that'll have Anthony Averett, who left the Bengals game with a rib injury. Daniel, how how can the Ravens dial up something to stop Cooper Cup and the Rams? Uh, I mean, the Ravens are just down and out, man. They banged up, they beat up, they shot to hell right now. And, you know, the Rams are, I mean, rolling. There's no way this offensive line is going to be able to stop Aaron Donald and company. There's no way they're going to be able to stop him. He's going to be in the backfield every freaking play, every opportunity he gets. It's going to take two or three old linemen to slow this guy down, you know, and um, that, that only leaves you with two other linemen to, to block the other three or four guys that's coming, you know? So it's it just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It, it, it doesn't work in their favor. You know, Matthew Stafford is playing as great as he's ever played. Um, and Cooper cup is, I mean, you talking about playing with the cup halfway full or halfway empty, you know, every game, I feel like it's halfway empty. He's trying to fill it up. You know, he's, he's doing, he's, he's balling, you know, and he's, he's doing his thing. And then they got Odell Beckham on top of that. You know, and so on and so on. It doesn't. It doesn't stop there. It's going to be a really, really, really tough game for the Baltimore Ravens. The only way this thing will pan out in the Ravens' favor if the Rams decide to take the week off and come to Baltimore. I mean, you cannot sleep on the Ravens fans. They will make it almost impossible for you to win if the Ravens get up on you. You know, so if the Ravens find a way, Josh Johnson and Josh Johnson and company find a way to get up on them, then there's an opportunity. Yeah, they can probably close the door on the back end of this thing with L.A. Only if the Rams come to sleep. The coaches decide not to coach and take a, take a vacation this week. The players decide, hey, man, it's the Ravens. They depleted, you know, let's take this, let's, you know, let's take a break this week. Let's go out to the club and hang out and stuff. You know, I mean, I, I very much doubt that happening. I mean, everybody knows what's on the line right now. It's playoff time. It's crunch time. Everybody is playing at all time high. I mean, the Rams could easily hang 60 on Baltimore this week. Well, we'll see. I mean, we don't even know yet what the Ravens quarterback situation is. You mentioned Johnson that we'll, we'll find out later in the week, what Lamar Jackson's availability is. We'll find out whether Tyler Huntley is available to come off the COVID list or whether it'll have to be Josh Johnson. Again, uh, the game did get moved from 4 PM to 1 PM. Sometimes these uh, West coast teams coming East have a tough time playing the one o'clock slot. Although the Rave, the Rams have had to do that four times this year and they've won all four. So that hasn't been a problem, but we've seen all year. There've been some crazy results that you'd never anticipate. So we certainly wouldn't rule it out. I will say this, John Harbaugh will have his team ready to play. Whether they have enough weapons to do it is one thing, but I never doubt that Harbaugh's team will be ready to compete. Whatever players they suit up will be ready. And as you said, if they were to lose this one, depending on everything, it still will come down to the Pittsburgh game. They would still, they would need a lot of help at that point, but that week 17 or the week 18, it will be now matchup against the Steelers will ultimately dictate things, but it will be another big ask this week. No doubt about it with the, with the talent that the Rams have coming in against the talent that the Ravens will have available. Can I, can I say this real quick, Bo? Let me, let me kind of backpedal just a little bit, man. Um, well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about like the players and stuff that has to play this week and they're NFL players. Okay. Like, let's not get it twisted. You know, I don't care that the third screen or fourth screen or the fifth screen guy, they're on a team for a reason. The issue, the biggest issue is between the starters and the third or fourth screeners is confidence. That's the biggest issue. It's whether or not the coach loves you, whether or not the coach believes in you, you know, whether or not you, or making the plays that you normally make when you play college ball or last time you touched the field and being able to build that confidence up so that you feel like you're still the elite player that you are is super, super important. And that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to whether or not these players have been built up the entire time they was on the practice squad or the entire time they was backing up these other guys. 
and they coming in with the confidence that they, they need to have in order to be great. You know, because if you hated me on a practice squad and now I got to play for you and now you're trying to be my friend all of a sudden because you need me to play well for you, it's a different feeling than when I was on a practice squad and you was telling me like, bro, keep doing what you're doing. You're phenomenal. I believe in you. You can start in this league. You know, like when you get your chance, be great. Like if you building that guy up that entire time and then he get a chance to get on the field for you and then he does some, some miraculous stuff. And the first person he comes to is the, his coach and he hugs his coach. I'm like, coach, thank you so much for believing me. I appreciate you. It's the Dante Hall factor, right? The Dante Hall factor. You remember Dante Hall back in the day? You know, he, it was that constant belief. Somebody gave him a chance, you know, um, and believed in him. And then they put him in the game. He, he made a little play. It was a generic play at first. Then he made another one. He was like, okay, I can, I can do this. And then he made another one. Next thing you know, he ad living every time he get the ball and he breaking all kinds of records. Devin Hester. It's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's those type of players that are sitting on your bench. They're phenomenal players. You just got to find out, you know, whether or not, you have instilled the confidence in them to know that they can go out here and be great. And that's what the Ravens dealing with right now. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and it's been just a tough run. I mean, you look at a guy like Kevon Seymour, right? A guy comes off their practice squad. He has to be promoted to the roster. And in three consecutive weeks, he has to deal with Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup. I mean, three of the elite, elite receivers in the league, not even counting T Higgins and some of the other supporting receivers. I mean, but so you're asking these practice squad guys not only to come out and play and, 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 and have a big role for your team, but the way the schedule has fallen, it's have a big role as a defensive back against probably three of the top four or five receivers in the entire league. And they and John Harbaugh will say all the time, we don't have guys on our practice squad that we do not think can play. If, if we don't think they can play for us, we're not, we're not having them on our practice squad. Every guy we have, we think can play for us. So that's what they will be up against. But it's a good point you make that I do think they instill confidence in these players. I think it's important that they do. And whether it's enough remains to be seen. But they frequently express that they believe every single player on their practice squad is capable of being an NFL player. So that, that's, that's the job that they face going into this week against the Rams. And, and I was talking about Cup and Odell Beckham. And you make a good point on the defensive line. I mean, that's a whole other issue is how this offense is going to deal with Aaron Donald and this this Rams defense we will see what happens it's a it's a, another tough stretch we knew this back half of the schedule was loaded against the Ravens and it and it has proven to be that way the Ravens and the Rams on Sunday one o'clock the game's been moved from 4 25 to 1 p.m uh at M&T Bank Stadium as the Ravens try to you know limp their way toward a potential playoff first for Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolkup on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.